If you think about typical mental health, you've seen it, right? Someone goes into an office, they sit on a couch, they talk about their feelings, maybe they work on some exercises. But especially for kids and teens, caregivers may be asked to come in to the end of the appointment for five minutes, are told what happened, and then expected to support them throughout the remainder of the week. That doesn't really seem fair. The Medical Alley Podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. MentorMate empowers healthcare clients to deliver on their mission and transform the human experience through technology. For over 20 years, clients have trusted MentorMate to guide their vision, design innovative products, and build secure solutions while understanding the specific nuances of their industry. MentorMate's global team in the U.S., Eastern Europe, and Latin America helps clients in all sectors of healthcare transform their organizations. From Fortune 500 pharmaceutical companies and commercial payers to hospital systems, medical device manufacturers, and beyond. Learn more at mentormate.com/healthcare. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Medical Alley Podcast. I'm Ben Wagner, your host today, and delighted to be joined by a true expert um, in a really important field, the field of pediatric mental health. And with us today is Monica Roots, who is the co-founder and president of Bend Health. Monica, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. You obviously know how important this topic is and how prevalent it is, especially coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. So you and your husband, Kurt, co-founded Bend Health, which provides pediatric mental health for kids, teens, and families too, which we'll get to in a moment. But I'm curious if you could start off by sharing a bit about what made you decide to, to start Bend Health. It actually has been a journey. As a child adolescent psychiatrist myself, I actually trained at the University of Minnesota. And one of the things that always stuck with me was that there are just not enough of us. There will never be enough psychiatrists, never be enough therapists. And in the future, most likely you will be running teams and making sure that you're consulting rather than seeing the majority of the patients yourself. That then led me to really a significant career in digital mental health. I went uh, and co-founded a company with Kurt, my husband, back in the day and created a tool that was meant to really understand if a child, teen, or young adult had ADHD versus anxiety and depression, because we see most of these diagnoses happening in the pediatric office. But typically, when someone would come and see me in the office, a lot of what we do is just talk or we play a game. And so this technology that we created back in 2012, just to age myself here, was actually a game so that kids, teens, and young adults could play it. And we could better address, is this diagnosis an anxiety, depressive disorder, or ADHD? That then was sold to Teladoc, and I became VP of Health Services at Teladoc and created their behavioral health line of business. But that was very adult focused. And when I said, when are we going to create something for kids or teens? They just didn't want to take that on at the time. Bend Health obviously came from my other experience at San Velo, where I was chief medical officer that was actually out of UHG Ventures in Minneapolis, Eden Prairie. And that was a full stack solution for adult mental health. So it was content, coaching, therapy, and psychiatry. It was really, really effective. But then again, I wanted to create something for kids and teens. And once again, that appetite wasn't there. There's a lot of risk 
And also, both at Teladoc and Civella, we were trying to keep the primary care offices engaged and updated in what we were doing. But it was highly dependent on getting a release of information. And it usually ended up just being a fax, not a relationship. So when we were deciding what to do, Kurt and I said, boy, maybe it's time to take on this kid and teen mental health concern. But also think about who are the stakeholders. And the stakeholders typically in a child's ecosystem is both their school, but also their primary care physician. So hence, we created Bent Health which was to address pediatric mental health in those ages 1 through 17. But the foundation of it was something called pediatric collaborative care, which means that we directly work with pediatric providers so that they can refer to us. We can help with the care, but really collaborating with them is the center of our experience at Bent Health and part of this model. That's great. And so when we talk about mental health in kids and teens, I've spoken with a lot of providers who say that we've been in a crisis for a lot longer than it's been called a crisis, right? But what we're seeing now is this intensity of symptoms and complexity of conditions um, around kids and teens. I'm just curious just to get your view on on some of the that, that intensity that you're seeing among kids and teens in, in the mental health space. As you've identified, we definitely have been seeing a significant increase in mental health concerns in kids and teens for quite some time. This is not new, and there was always a lack or shortage of trained professionals to really take care of these kids or teens. But if we think about the generation today, especially between the ages of 1 through 25, which is where I tend to focus, their life is really different. If we think about it, they are going through a lot more than we did when we were kids. Take, for example, technology. They were born with it. They were on it. There were tablets. That's really how they learned. It's actually part of their framework. But unfortunately, it's also seeped into very common practices or routines that we used to have, like the family dinner, where many of us now have technology sitting or buzzing on the phone next to us or on the table. And that can be very distracting. So therefore, we're not connecting like we used to. But they're also seeing a lot of things that we as adults that are doing, which is not great modeling, let's be honest. We've not done great with the environment, and so they're worried about their future. They have first-person shooter trainings in their school because of increased violence that's occurring. They're worried about the divisive nature of our political environment and how separated we feel. And so they are really trying to navigate a world that is really quite different than what we had. They have much more exposure to it through things like social media, technology, et cetera. And they don't necessarily always have the coping skills or understanding about all of the things that they are facing. And so therefore, if you put all of that together, which really just feels like a soup or a mess of things that they are trying to contend with on a daily basis, plus just generally the pressures of perfectionism, getting ahead, social determinants of health, where many kids are struggling with food insecurity and safety, it's not really a surprise that the severity of the mental health conditions that kids and teens are facing continues to increase. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and, and I think you really show the whole picture there, too, on top of just being a kid, right? You know, all of those different factors on top of just growing up, it leads to where we are yeah. now. It was hard enough, let's face it, but it's definitely gotten harder. So Bend Health offers um, an evidence-based collaborative care model when working with kids and families. Can you tell us a bit more about Bend's approach and maybe about how you differentiate yourself from others? 
We think about the care of a kid, teen, or even a young adult as thinking about their village, if you will. A child or a teen is highly dependent on their ecosystem. Let's face it, they don't pay the bills. They didn't buy their house. They are highly dependent on the people in their ecosystem to take care, lead them, and guide them. So if you think about who's in that ecosystem, it is their caregivers, and that could look like a lot of different things. It could be their biological parents. It could be a step-parent. It could be a grandmother or a cousin or an aunt. It's also very much their teachers within the school, but also very essential is the primary care physician. 92% of kids and teens have a primary care physician. So that's where we chose to focus, which is one, really supporting our frontline people, which are pediatric providers and family practice providers who are really seeing the bulk of the mental health concerns and they're being asked to treat them when they weren't really trained to do so in medical school, maybe a short rotation, but not much more beyond that. We also decided to take a family systems approach. So when a pediatrician or someone comes to us, we then include the caregivers and the family. If you think about typical mental health, you've seen it, right? Someone goes into an office, they sit on a couch, they talk about their feelings, maybe they work on some exercises. But especially for kids and teens, caregivers may be asked to come in to the end of the appointment for five minutes, are told what happened, and then expected to support them throughout the remainder of the week. That doesn't really seem fair. So as part of that, we brought in the caregivers as part of the care. So we have programs for ages one through five, which are very focused on the caregiver, but specific sessions for the kids to learn coping skills. Ages six through 12 is a form of care called dyadic care, where we bring both the child and the caregiver in the sessions to be able to learn skills. And then ages 13 through 17, our care is very focused on the teens, but we also have specific sessions for the caregivers. And then 18 through 25, we focus a lot on the young adult, but we also offer the opportunity for their caregiver to come in if that young adult chooses to do so. We also include the schools and any outside people that may be involved. So first of all, we focused on the village. The second piece is to make sure we had a cohesive team. So when someone comes to Bent Health, they get a lot of different care team members to really support them. Think about it like a big blanket that we surround them with. So everybody gets a behavioral care manager to help coordinate on behalf of the family on services that they need, but also keeping everybody in the loop. Everybody also gets a coach. So this helps with parent skills training, but also application of skills. A therapist may teach you how to do something like thought reframing, which is a technique in cognitive behavioral therapy, but they may not always be there between sessions to help you and guide you understand how to apply that to different situations in your daily life. So that's where the coach comes in. And then if people need more, we have a therapy and psychiatry to do that. But we work on one big care team, as well as a lot of content so people can really learn between sessions the different things that our care team members are trying to teach and support them with. Okay. So you're really treating the, the whole village, the whole ecosystem around this this young person's life. I, I'm curious about any kind of success stories you have. Any any Anything that, that comes to mind when you think about, wow, this really, this whole pull through, this really works. We've heard so many great stories. Everything from we've had individuals come to us who have LGBTQ plus concerns. They are living in the house. They're reaching out for help. But maybe there's a caregiver who doesn't understand where they're coming from. Bringing in the caregivers and having their own sessions to understand 
hey, this individual is just being themselves. This is how you can support them. We've heard countless times caregivers saying, thank you. I didn't know how to have these tough conversations. I didn't know what to say. And you see these kids blossom when they are accepted for who they are. We've also had a lot of kids who have come to us who have tried many different kinds of programs, partial hospitalizations, inpatients, outpatients, and nothing has worked. And I think part of that is because they were forced into different situations that maybe they were not ready for. For example, everything at Bend Health is done virtually. Not everybody needs to be in person, nor maybe is that the best situation for them. Some kids maybe have horrible social anxiety. So being in something like a program where you have to be in groups all the time probably is not the best for them. So we've seen countless kids come to us who have had issues of depression, self-harm, horrible social anxiety. And with this caregiver involvement, as well as a care team surrounding them, they have gotten better, significantly better within 60 days and have been extremely thankful. So we, you know, we're really focused on the stories. We have a lot of research to back up what we do. So we have uh, over eight peer-reviewed studies currently published on different outcomes in terms of helping kids with anxiety, depression, but eating concerns. We also even show the impact on the caregiver. In fact, what we found is that within 60 days of a caregiver enrolling their child in mental health or a teen, their burnout improved, their stress level improved, their insomnia improved, and even their ability to go work, go to work and not be worried improved. Wow. Well, I, I want to also touch on this role of technology and specifically AI, which is a really prevalent topic across multiple industries and especially within within healthcare. And I wonder how technology and potentially the integration of AI has helped to shape Bend Health's platform. Technology is a big part of what we do. So we are a virtual-based platform. So everything that we do is tech-enabled. That has really helped us significantly because we can do things like taking measures. So understanding the severity of how things are doing on a monthly basis, tracking how they were doing at baseline, but also how are they doing month to month afterwards so we can change their treatment plan if necessary. We also have that digital content that we talked about, which allows us to personalize for that child, teen, and caregiver specific lessons so they can learn how they're doing. And also you know, the technology of being able to beam into a person's school or home where they feel the most comfortable really is core to what we try to do, which is meeting a child, a teen or a caregiver where they're at. AI is a hot topic. We know that the concept of generative AI is something that everybody is talking about. They think it's the future. You know, I take a step back and I think about two things. One is I think about safety and privacy. This information that we deal with in healthcare is powerful. And especially when it comes to mental health and substance use, we have to have a very specific sensitivity to that kind of information so that we can make sure that it is only being shared with others when it is therapeutic or necessary and keeping their privacy when necessary. But do I think that there are things that generative AI can really do that could move the needle? So for example, can we use something to help practitioners summarize the chart for them Instead of having to read through reams of notes before a visit to get up to date on what's going on. Think about it. Sometimes for a visit, I can spend 60 to 90 minutes reading charts so that I'm ready for that first visit with that patient. If I had a generative AI bot looking through all the charts and summarizing for me what's going on, boy, that would save a lot of time. 
I also think about opportunities of really pulling out data that's important for a practitioner to really focus on. In healthcare, we've gotten really far in capturing data points. We have data for everything. But what we haven't done a great job of is distilling that data and finding out what are the key points that I need to tell this practitioner about so that they can help their patient the most. Maybe it's not about how many steps they took that day. Maybe it's actually really about how their heart rate is varying from time to time. That's something I think generative AI can really help with. Educational materials, I think, are really helpful as well. Really personalizing for that child, teen, or caregiver what educational materials they need instead of the standard materials that we get. So I think that there's a lot that we can do there. But do I think that there could be a chatbot that really replaces a coach or a therapist totally, especially for those who maybe really need it? That would be really, really hard to really foresee that future. It may be helpful for some with mild or subacute symptoms, but to really replace a human, especially when that interaction and that rapport and connection is so important for improvement, that is hard for me for to foresee at this time. And then there's a real issue of trust too with with artificial intelligence. Because when you get into that space, when you get into the patient care space, I think that's where there's there's still a long way to go if that's really going to be integrated. But I, I liked what you said about kind of the efficiencies that could help providers get back to doing what they got into this industry to do, and that's to care for patients. Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe charting a little bit less. And charting less, <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get to our, our kind of final question here, as mental health really becomes more widely talked about, more um, there, there's more acceptance around someone expressing symptoms of mental health or their conditions or what have you. What do you think the future of family mental health care looks like? I think if you think about where mental health started, which is really centuries ago when we thought about the biological brain and then Freud, of course, split it into thinking about subconscious and trying to separate it a little bit from the biological. If you think about where we're going now, we're starting to think both much more about psychological and biological factors coming together again. And so if I think about the future of family mental health, I think very much along those lines. We need to think about generational trauma. We need to think about the impact of something called epigenetics, which means that generations of trauma really does create a biomarker in someone's genes and then expresses itself in different ways, which frequently comes out in medical conditions like metabolic syndrome, high blood pressure, risk of cancers, things like that that we're seeing everywhere. So I think that piece is really important to understand because looking at the genetics and the health of a caregiver also gives you a framework of how to think about that child and preventative things that we need to think about. But the piece that I just said that I think is important is preventative. We need to stop being reactive to mental health. So as you said, in in the Minneapolis area, there are many hospitals and I've worked on many inpatient units. And when these individuals did come to me finally, I was like, boy, I wish I had gotten to you a year before this. I could have helped. There were signs there. We could have prevented it. And that's where I think we need to think about family mental health, which is preventative. It needs to become a daily fabric of the family's life. And I say family, meaning that it's not just the child focusing on their mental health. It's not just a caregiver focusing on their mental health. It's the family unit's mental health and how they are working together and not against each other. 
So as we think about prevention, thinking about the framework of what that means, which is taking care of both your mind and your body daily, so that many of these mental health conditions can really be avoided in the long term. Getting upstream really feels like that's the that's the main goal and that preventative care could really be a, a, a real game changer if we can figure out exactly how to do it and how to do it well. Yes, absolutely. Well, Monica, I, I want to offer just this last this space at the at the end of our conversation here to, to offer you any opportunity to say something that I might have missed or, or tell us any part of, of Bend Health that uh, you think is really important. Well, I think where we landed on prevention is part of where Bend Health is going, which is really thinking about education. And so we have created a program called Bend Cares, which is actually an educational curriculum for either lay people. So for example, people who are after school counselors or teachers. We've also created training for coaches. And we've also created training for pediatric providers or healthcare providers. And why we're trying to do that is because we are trying to educate the front lines of what pediatric mental health really does look like. A child doesn't necessarily cry when they're depressed. They may get irritated. They have outbursts. They have behavioral concerns within school. We need to have the frontline staff understand what they're looking at so that they can raise it sooner. So we are really starting to think about this full spectrum of care that's necessary in pediatric mental health and really family systems approach, which is we need to think from prevention all the way up through severe, like programs to help with acute stabilization after inpatient. It's really creating a program where you can go from really the beginning to the end and not be a dead end for these kids, which is really what we have not been doing well. And as you started with talking about, the mental health ecosystem does not work well together. It is really a hodgepodge and really doesn't connect well to primary care. So if we think about that full spectrum of need, as well as connecting to where kids are, which is at the pediatric office showing up when they have headaches or stomach aches, that's where it starts. So we need to make sure that we're thinking about that full spectrum care and to not be a dead end for these kids. Because if they fall through the cracks, they will end up in the ER in the inpatient and much harder to take care of. Well, Monica, I really appreciate your time and your your expertise and your your insight. And thank you for all you do um, with, with Bend Health on behalf of families really across Medical Alley. Thank you. That is Monica Roots. She is the co-founder and the president of Bend Health. Our thanks to her for being on another episode of the Medical Alley podcast. I'm Ben Wagner, your host for today. I have one uh, final note uh, for anybody listening. Um, if you're looking for your podcasts, uh, you can find us at the Medical Alley podcast, uh, org, as well as on Apple or Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you for listening and have a great day.